Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, welcome to Bergen Park Church. We're glad that you've gathered with us this morning. Um, It's good to see your face. Hey, we're going through a series through the book of Psalms and really kind of jumping from Psalm to Psalm. There's no rhyme or reason other than me. Just kind of excited about a different psalm. And this, this Sunday, we're going to be in Psalm 1, which one of my favorite psalms, one of the first uh, psalms I ever memorized, I think outside of Psalm 23. I don't know if you ever memorized Psalm 23. You just hear it so much. <laughs> Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in. And you only know it in the King James. I don't know if that's true for you. If you haven't grown up in church, I'm speaking Greek. But if you've grown up in the church, it's like the King James, Psalm 23. You just know it watching Little House on the Prairie growing up. I can admit that. My mother would always watch that show, and so Psalm 23 was there all the time. But anyway, Psalm 1 is the introduction to the Psalms, which means it's, it's the outline for how we engage the Psalms. Now, the Psalm, the word Psalm means song. So the Psalms are intended to be sung, and in fact, they were sung by God's people, both the early church And God's people in the Old Testament, they would take these songs and they would sing them together. And the reason they would do this is when you go through the Psalms, you discover it's diverse. Now, our worship today tends to be happy because we want to be happy. Americans want to be happy, 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 joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. That's a lot of our music today. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you get into the Psalms, what it does is it represents life. My life is not happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. I'm sorry. I love God, but that's just not reality. I'm sad sometimes. I'm angry sometimes. Sometimes my heart is filled with vengeance and judgment. I just want to open it up, not on you, but I need to open it up on God so I don't open it up on you. And those psalms all exist. And the reason people sang these songs was so that when they're in that situation, they knew how to pray. Do you ever find yourself in a place you don't know how to pray? Absolutely. Start reading the Psalms. Now, I want to take you first to Philippians 3. And I want to suggest to you that Paul knew how to meditate. And he said, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. So somehow to obtain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and then straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I don't think Paul just arrived at that moment I think that is the result of his walk with God and he's meditating and he's asking the question, what do I really want? You ever ask that of yourself? You're frustrated. What do I really want? And Paul, as he's living life, says, you know, I've experienced Christ. I've known God. I want more of that. And as I'm looking at my life, I'm realizing there's some things that need to change. And so he starts meditating it out. One thing I do, right? I got to forget what's behind I got to forget the lies. And for me, I got to forget all the stupid things I've done. 
because that doesn't define me anymore. And then I want to direct my life, and I want to strain. I want to aim towards the goal. What's the goal? I want to know Christ. And that, that word is a meditation for Paul, and it defined his life, and it defined what he wanted to know about God, and it's really a reflection of what we need to do, and it's a reflection of Psalm 1, because Psalm 1 is a meditation. It's not a prayer. It's a meditation. Now, it's in the presence of God, so meditation is always in God's presence, but it's not necessarily a prayer. It's a reflection on what I need and where I am and how truth impacts my heart. So we're going to jump into Psalm 1 if you want to turn there. If you want to grab a Bible, uh, Psalms are kind of the middle of the Bible right there, and we'll start in Psalm 1, and we're going to read it through. Psalm 1, a meditation. And we're not sure who the author is, but let's jump into it. You guys ready? All right, Psalm 1, thanks. Let's go into it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, it prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, would you pray for me? And let me pray for you. Father, I read these words, and I love that Paul wanted to know you, but you want to know us. You long to be with us, and you sent your son so that we might, we might dwell with you and make our home in you. What a beautiful thought. And so would you drive us to that place of oneness with you in Christ and in the Spirit and in the Father, Father, that we might truly rest and be blessed in your presence, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to read again. Last week I quoted from Eugene Peterson. And if you haven't picked up uh, the message translation, especially the message translation of the Psalms, it's incredibly helpful because what Eugene does is he takes that language and he brings it into very common and simple language that you can pray back to God. And here's how Eugene Peterson describes the Psalm and specifically describes prayer. And he's talking about the language of prayer, and he says, prayer is elemental, not advanced language. It is the means by which our language becomes, and hear this, honest, true, personal in response to God. It is the means by which we get everything in our lives out before God. Do you see that process? Is that clean when you're getting your stuff out, is that flourishing, thy, thou, thee, thus? No, it's messy, isn't it? Now, there's moments where you're exalting God and you're in that place of worship that's beautiful, good, and right. But there's other times where we just need to bring what's ever going on in our lives to him. And that's what we find in the Psalms. And in Psalm 1, we find two types of people that are living two types of life. And we want to contrast those two types of life. And then honestly, you need to get into it and say, hey, where am I? Don't assume 
Don't assume the bad parts aren't talking about you. That's called Disney princess theology. Have you ever heard that? We tend to walk around and I'm not a Pharisee. I'm like Jesus and I'm doing it right and I would have fed the 5,000 and I would, right? You know what I mean? But when we jump into a psalm like this, we need to jump in and say, hey, how is this true about where I am? And what the psalmist does is he starts with the stuff we shouldn't do. And so watch this in verse one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, it says blessed. Now, that's a hard word to translate. Sometimes people translate it happy, which it can be happiness, but it's more than that. It's this idea of shalom. It's, it's being right with God and right with myself, in a sense, right with the world, not in terms that life is right. You know what I mean? Life can be wrong and you can be blessed. How do I know? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus said there's a state of blessedness that is in sometimes the worst of circumstances and the best of circumstances because it's deep-rooted. You know what I mean? It's not just surface-oriented, that life is going good and I'm happy and things are great, but instead it's, it's a tree. When Jesus... Uh, explains that idea of blessedness. I think he has in his mind this idea of a tree that's planted with deep roots that go down beneath the surface so that when winter comes and summer comes, it's still fed by a stream which is communion with God. Blessedness is a richness. Now notice, blessedness is not obtained through these three ways. Walks in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, and sits in the seat of scoffers. There's a progression. So counsel is advice. What are you listening to that's leading you in the wrong direction? Now, even in the church, you can listen to good and intended people that can lead you away from communion with God. What we listen to leads to standing in the way. The way means life. I am the way, the truth, the life. It's a way of life. And so what you listen to shows up in how you live and how you live puts you in a seat of righteousness, self-righteousness, where you can judge others. See the connection? What I listen to, the counsel of the wicked, stand, I start living it out, and then what I do is I find a position of self-righteousness, and I sit on that throne, and I look at you, and I see my superiority, and I look down, and I see your inferiority, and I'm a scoffer. Now, the psalmist is describing those who are scoffing at those who are delighting in God's law. But all of us can scoff at someone. And that scoffing does not reflect walking with God. It reflects chaff. And see, chaff means walking with self. Because self is not anchored in God. It's just anchored in, in me. So here's three questions you need to ask. Because you may start off and go, this doesn't apply to me. But three questions. What or who am I listening to? And then how is what I'm listening to showing up in how I'm living? So just take a minute, do a little examine, and look at your week, and look at those moments you weren't too proud of, you know? If, you, if we video recorded that, you wouldn't want to, to see that repeated. What, what came out of you came out of what you're listening to, what you're hearing. Sometimes it could be an internal voice, right? A lie from the past. And then what you behave shows up in, who am I sitting in judgment over as a result? That's the seat scoffers. And those who are blessed, they avoid these three patterns in life. And this is something we all fall into. And so I have to ask myself as I'm looking at this, where am I in that reality? 
What advice am I listening to? What behavior is showing up? And then where am I standing in judgment in a way that God has not given me that, that authority? So that's, first of all, what we should not do. And then he goes on and describes, okay, what should we do? Instead of that, blessed is the man who does not, but his delight is in the law. Now, that word law could trip you up, right? It's not a pretty word. So sometimes you can insert teaching. His delight is in the instruction. Think of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. His delight is in the teaching of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So meditation is not Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation, as far as I know, it's emptying the mind. I don't know how they do that. (laughs) There's always something there in my mind. And usually it's this voice of accusation. I got a lot of voices of shame and accusation. That's the work I got to do with God. And this voice comes up. But see, meditation in the Christian life is not the emptying of the mind. It's the filling of the mind with the thoughts of God. And meditation is a bridge. So on the one hand, you're reading scripture and then you're praying. How do you go from word to prayer? Well, the bridge, imagine it, is called meditation. Meditation is taking the truth of God and wrestling it down into the heart to the point that it becomes a reality. It becomes a taste and see. It becomes an expression. It becomes alive in the heart. That a concept becomes Reality, in some ways, meditation is self-talk. It's something you do all the time. You do something stupid, you start having a conversation with yourself. Somebody hurts you, you start having a conversation with yourself. Well, you see that throughout the Psalms. We do it all the time because it's something that we need to do, but in terms of God. And so Psalm 103, the psalmist does some self-talk and listen to how and who he's talking to. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to God? He's in the presence of God, but he's looking inside saying, Jason, man, you need to, you need to start exalting him. You, you gotta get your heart off this junk. You've forgotten his benefits. Now, it doesn't mean you've forgotten his benefits up here, right? I know he forgives me. I know he loves me. But right now, I don't believe any of that. I believe it's garbage and I need to start talking to my soul. I need to shepherd myself. Do you understand what that means? You know, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself, which means we have to love ourselves. And there's times where you need to shepherd your soul and you need to start talking to yourself. Hey, listen, remember his benefits. And so what does the psalmist do? He starts listing off the benefits. What are the benefits of knowing God who forgives all your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, that your youth is renewed like eagle's wings. I'm not feeling it, but I'm telling my heart about it. It's self-talk. That's meditation. Meditation is both deeply rational, you're speaking truth, but it's incredibly spiritual and emotional. So Psalm 42, we see David in Psalm 42 is actually arguing with his heart. And in Psalm 42, he's in a a time of great distress and difficulty. He's going through hardships, doesn't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. And listen to what he says. He asks himself a question. Why are you downcast? It's not a bad question to ask. Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? And, And I imagine he's got a journal or something and he's, I don't know, he's writing it out. Here's what's going on. 
And then look, he's now talking to his heart. Put your hope in God. Hey, Jason, I don't know where your hope is right now. But what you're listening to is showing up in your life and you're sitting in a seat, probably over yourself of judgment, it's not working. So instead, what would it look like right now just to hope in God? For I notice, I'll again praise him. I'm not praising him now. I'm ticked. My salvation and my God. You see what he's doing? David is talking to his heart and he's bringing the truth of who God is into the reality of his life. So it's deeply rational, but it's also deeply experiential. So Psalm 27, verse four. It's deeply mystical. David says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then notice he says, I just wanna gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Is that intellectual? Now that's experiential. God, I wanna look at you. I wanna be with you. I wanna know you and I wanna be known by you. That's meditation. Meditation takes us to that place where we speak the truth of God to our soul. Now I wanna share with you just a way of doing that because we can talk about it all we want. Hey, that sounds great. How do we do it? Now, one of the most popular ways of reading the Bible today, you find it all over the place, is this anacronym called bread. Have you heard it? And bread is a five-part way. It's based on Lectio Divina of really getting, getting into Scripture. And it starts with B. The first thing is just be still. My heart is a raging river. You know, one of the first practices I have when I get up in the morning, it comes from these, this guy, he wrote a book about eight habits, and I've only picked up one. <laughs> I'm getting there. It's a good book. Is don't pick up your phone, kneel, the first thing you get out of bed. Don't pick up your phone, kneel. And I pray, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. Because when you come to the scripture, you've got to stop the voices. You've got to shut it out. Kevin Costner, remember in that movie where he's a pitcher? Clear the mechanism. Am I speaking to anyone? Clear, okay, thank you. Clear the mechanism. I always think of that. I'm like, you know, all the crowd's yelling, and it's like, ah, and it gets real still. Because our heart is like a raging river. And when you throw the rock of Scripture into a raging river, do you see its effects? Heck no. You don't see any ripples in a raging river. I mean, you don't even see the splash. But when the river and the, the lake is calm and you throw that rock, you start to see the effects and the impact of that word. The first thing we gotta do is just, just be still. Take a deep breath. What am I feeling? I'm a little tired. My back hurts. I'm a little achy. And just be present because if you're not present with yourself, how in the world are you gonna be present with God? So be still. And then second, Read. Have a plan that you're going through. You can find those plans. They're available online and simply begin to read. Rich Velotis, he captured the importance of reading this way. He says, unless we are immersing ourselves in Scripture for the purpose, notice, of being encountering, encountered by God, not merely observing the text, we will find our foundations in Christ limited. God has spoken in Jesus and has spoken through his written word. And we are invited to slowly enter into that word, world. We've got to be still so that we can encounter God. And then third, encounter, which is, what do you notice? 
When you go through it that first time and you're reading it, what stands out to you? And it, it's okay if it's something that bothers you. God often wants to meet you in intimacy through the things that bug you about him because it's a relationship. And notice it and don't judge it. You may be reading through and something stands out and you notice it and you start focusing on it and then go back and read it again and, and look at how whatever's drawn out to your heart is, is connected and how the passage is kind of related and then you read it through again. And you're simply noticing, not judging, not applying, not thinking it through, but just noticing because you're believing that this word is inspired and you believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Expect him to speak. And expect him maybe to speak through your curiosity. Maybe to expect him to speak through a hurt. Certainly within the church, we hurt each other. And there could be something you're reading about God. It's bothering you. And God wants to show up in intimacy in that place. And what do you do? You ignore it. You push it down. You kind of reject it. That's not the God I believe in. Guys, don't do that. That's where the good stuff's found. Start to examine. And then once you've examined it, apply. Apply. What would it look like if I actually believed this? And you can kind of close your Bible and you sit there and you just start to dream. You start to think. And you take what you noticed, because it doesn't have to be the whole passage, just a little section. You start chewing it. That's what meditation is. It's like a cow that, that eats and digests and then brings it back up and starts to ruminate and to think through and to chew over and to apply. What would this look like? Do I believe this? Where have I seen this? How would this change my relationship to money or sex or my wife or life in general? What does it look like? We have to start to apply. And then your first step of action is to devote. What's your first action in listening to God is then acknowledging that he's spoken to you. So often we read and we don't acknowledge the person that just spoke to us. How, how cruel is that? If someone is speaking to you and you don't acknowledge their presence and you don't acknowledge what they just said, and part of prayer is saying, Jesus, this is what I think you're saying to me today. I think I'm hearing your voice. And then you just simply write out a one sentence prayer. God, I, this is what I wanna pray today. And you take that with you. Does that make sense? Be still, read, examine, apply it, and then simply devote. And it can be very simple, guys. You can take that one verse a day, little text that comes to you, and you can take literally five minutes and you can accomplish that. We have to have something in us because if you're not in scripture, how are you gonna listen to the voice of God when you're in tough times? How are you gonna hear the voice of God when you're under stress and the raging river is going and if you have nothing inside to work from, it's very difficult to bring out of nothing something. God can do it, but he likes to work with something. Get into his word and what will that do to you? Notice in verse three, here's what it does. When we root ourselves in God, he is like a tree. This is the one that's delighting, not just gaining knowledge. His affections and his heart and his love are being directed at God. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. Notice, not all the time. You're not perfect. Ever. In season, its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, but... Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, the difference between the righteous and the wicked is simply delighting. At this point, what are you listening to? And see, the one that delights, loves God and wants to commune with him, he says has deep roots and is planted 
intentionally. It didn't just show up. Somebody planted it by streams of water. And so you're fruitful, not because the environment of your life is perfect. Because when you're planted by streams of water, it's the streams beneath the surface that are filling that tree and fueling that tree so that when the storms of life come, and they're coming, summer heat is gonna come, not this year, I don't know, it's just like summer rain is gonna come. And then winter cold is gonna come and then there's gonna be life and fruit and sometimes you're like just rejoicing in God, man, I'm killing it. And then winter comes back and you go through those seasons. But what keeps you in the blessedness is the point of this is communion with God, not getting it right. And if your righteousness is about getting it right and not being with God, you're gonna totally mess up this thing called following Jesus. Because the psalmist says, I'm delighting, not that I have my life together and everything's perfect, I'm delighting that I'm communing with God throughout my life. And he is bringing fruit. You know, Jesus really pulled on that. Over the last year, I'll tell you, I've been meditating on John 14, 15, 16, 17, entire year. I've almost memorized it. I'm getting there. Don't don't push me, okay? Don't push me. And I've been going back to John 15 because what the psalmist is talking about is what Jesus says to his disciples before he left. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, he's kind of like, ask whatever you want and it'll be given to you. But apart from me, you can do Nothing, and you'll find in John 15, he's constantly saying, remain in me and I will remain in you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. What's important? I wanna make my home in Christ. And so often in the Christian life, we're so worried about getting it right or doing it right that we miss the main goal, which is I wanna know Christ. And when I get it wrong, I wanna know Christ. When I get it right, I wanna celebrate Christ. I want roots that go deep into God. That's what meditation does. It brings the truth about God to reality. And the opposite of that is, is called chaff. And see, chaff is rootless because it's dependent on itself. And chaff's when you take a seed, and I guess they would kind of winnow it, and they'd put it in their hands, and the chaff would fall away, and the seed would fall to the ground. And he says, when you're not anchored in God because God is life, it doesn't mean you're valueless, you still have value and purpose and significance, you're creating the image of God, it's just a metaphor, but you're not rooted to that which gives life in all circumstances because you're listening to the advice, the counsel of the wicked, you're walking in the way of sinners, you're sitting in the seat of mockers, that's not going to lead to life and communion and delighting in God, does that make sense? So he describes what a life and meditation looks like. Okay, so how do we do this? How do we get there? We described it a little bit with bread, but I wanna now show you a little bit of what it looks like so you know when you've experienced it. And I wanna go to Isaiah 6. Now, Isaiah 6, he's literally going to encounter the Lord, but I think we can see an image of what meditation looks like when it happens with the Holy Spirit in God's presence. So in Isaiah 6, Isaiah's in the temple of God, he's worshiping, and God shows up. And he experiences something he knows, but it becomes alive to him in a brand new way. That's meditation. So watch what happens. Isaiah 6, verse 5. He's in the presence of God, and he goes, oh, my gosh, you are holy. Woe to me, for I am lost from a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, that literally the holiness of God became an experience. It became a reality. Now, if you went to Isaiah and said, Isaiah, do you know about the holiness of God? He'd be like, absolutely. Let me tell you. I'll give you a dissertation, a little sermon here. But 
in this meditation, he's experiencing the holiness of God. He's starting to see the implications of the holiness of God. And this truth of God's now becoming like a fire. It's a reality in his life. And his eyes are now awakened to something that he knew, but he wasn't living out of. Now, Jesus was the master of this because most of Jesus' sermons were plagiarized. I know, I saw some heads turn up. And it's okay because it was plagiarized from the Old Testament. But do you know most of what he taught was simply a meditation on what was already there? Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is a meditation on the Ten Commandments. It wasn't like he wrote this brand new sermon. He's like, guys, this is what God meant from the beginning. And he'll often say, you've heard it said, right? But I say to you, you've heard it said. Where did you hear it? You heard it in the Old Testament. But I'm telling you, this is the implication. God meant for then, and I'm just bringing it to life now. Where did Jesus get it? He meditated on the word of God. The Holy Spirit brought truth to his life, and he sees what God desires for us. So, for example, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 which is a quote from Exodus 20, verse 13. You've heard it said to those of old, the Old Testament, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Where do you get that? By thinking out the implications, why doesn't God want me to murder? Because Genesis 1, God created us in the image of God with value and dignity. And when I hate a human being, there's a sense in which I'm actually hating God. Do you know James says that? When you slander someone made in the image of God, you're slandering God. That kind of puts new meaning on, on our words. And Jesus is saying the implication of not murdering is loving. And who do I want to murder? Come on now. Who do you want to murder? Somebody I hate. What's the implication? Love your enemies. Pray for those, what is, what is he doing? It's just meditating. He's noticing. He's thinking it out. What would it look like, not just simply not to murder, what would it look like to love and who do I not want to love? And then you know where he goes at the end of that? God is merciful. God, you, you let the rain shine on the wicked and the righteous. You let the sun shine and the rain fall on all of us. Who am I not to offer mercy even to my enemy? Jesus is taking the truth. And then do not commit adultery, right? That's verse 27. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But what do I say to you? Anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in your heart. Don't use each other. And that can apply to more than just just lust. Don't. Don't see somebody as an object to fulfill a desire. That's a human being created in the image of God. And so he sees the covenant of marriage, the need to commit to one another, to make promises to each other regardless of how the other person responds. And Jesus exemplifies that, that he is faithful to us. When we are unfaithful to him, he becomes the true bridegroom, the true bride, the true groom that loves his spouse, even though as the church we are can we say we're a little wicked and, and can I say whorish at times, chasing after other gods? And yet he is faithful to us. He's meditating on the Old Testament and he's bringing out the implications. Do we do that? Do we go through the process of applying and thinking it through? And then here's what's really interesting is Jesus meditates on the Old Testament. You know what James does? 
The book of James is a meditation on the Sermon on the Mount. And so when you go through the book of James, he's just taking everything that Jesus taught and then he's applying it to people in his day. And that's what we need to do. When we come to the word, what does it look like to follow Jesus? So often in the church today, can I warn you about something? Don't proof text. What we want is a validation for what I'm doing and what I believe in. Now, that's important to understand scripture, but what we do is we go to the Bible and say, we grab onto it, see, now I can act this way or I can do this or I can believe this because I got this verse. That's not how scripture works. That's chaff because you're validating you. Your goal isn't to commune with God. Scripture is intended to draw us into God's presence so that who he is can begin to change us and show us the implications in life. Meditation leads It leads to life. And here's the final idea. When you meditate on Scripture, it's always going to lead you to the gospel. Because here's something I know. When I get to that verse and I, okay, do not lust and do not hate. Don't allow a root of bitterness. Oh, it's so easy. It feels so good. Oh, I love that root of bitterness. And I just like to let it flourish. Have you ever let it flourish? Oh. Love me some bitterness at some people and these people are ruining things. And I get into it. I do. I I just kind of get into it. And then I start looking at it and he's saying, love, God, I can't do that. I can't, I can't do it. I'm mad, God. I'm angry that this person, you're going to ask me to love them. How dare you ask? You know, that's called a psalm. That's what the psalmists are doing. See, we do it to others. You got to start doing that to God wrestling with him. He is big enough to handle your sin and your struggles and your hurts and your anger and your frustration and your fears and your sadness and your loneliness. That's what the Psalms are supposed to do for us. That's what meditation does. And it brings us back to Christ. Because did you notice in Jesus' weakest moments, what came out? Wasn't like me. It wasn't that angry, self-willed, I'm gonna win, you're gonna lose. When Jesus was on the cross, what flowed out of him was scripture. It was meditation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. And when he was saying, my God, my God, he was thinking about the entire arc of that psalm. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And in Psalm 22, here's what the psalmist says, pointing to Jesus. That on the cross, Jesus, it says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is being dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me, God, you're laying me in the dust of death. Was Jesus like a tree planted by streams of water or was he chaff? He was a tree, right? But realize on the cross, he became chaff because I'm chaff. I don't want to submit to God. I don't want to submit to God. That's the human condition, right? I want to determine good and evil for myself. I want to determine what the good life is. I want to tell you, God, how I do sex. And I want to tell you how I do politics and money. And I want to be superior. And I want to be at the center of all things. And I want to be in control. That's chaff. It's weightless. It's anchoredless. And see, what Jesus did is he took our nature, our chaff on himself. Why? So that we could look at his love. We can look at his gratitude. We can look at his sacrifice. And you know what it does to the angry? It melts the angry heart. It says, wow, you love me. You 
loved me. And I know in this life, a lot of people haven't, but God, you have. And, and would you allow that to flourish in me? Would you ignite that through the power of the Holy Spirit and make me alive to your love so that I can take it out into the world and be a tree planted by streams of water, not for myself, chaff, but for you. And would you let him yield the fruit in season, guys? You know what I mean? I get up here sometimes and I'm like, I want the fruit. I want to be amazing and I want to be impactful. No, 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 no. You know what he wants? He wants you to be with him. And I want to be 10 steps over here. And I want to bring about in our culture and our environment the reality that I want today. God, for your glory. And he's like, Jason, you're not with me anymore. Come back. And sometimes, we talked about this, we got to slow down to catch up to God. And if we're not meditating, we're not slowing down that we're at the pace of the Spirit of God in our life. I don't know what God's stirring in you as we, as we go through this psalm, but we're going to share communion together in response. The goal of communion is, is to evaluate, to reflect, and then together we get to rehearse the gospel, which is Jesus' life and death poured out for us so that we know that we're accepted not through what we've done or getting it right. We're accepted because Christ lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. So my salvation isn't based on me. It's based on, it's based on him, and I'm resting in him. And if you didn't grab the elements when you came in, you're in good company. A lot of us didn't, and I didn't. And so would you take the moment as people are getting up and would you go and grab the elements? They're available in the back. They're also available up front. And as Vivian plays, yeah, you can grab me one. That'd be awesome. Thank you. We want to just take this time to listen. What is the voice of the Spirit of God speaking to you? Would you meet the Father here and let's, let's listen to his voice. So that through your resurrection, we might be called the righteousness of God because we are in Jesus in our worst moments and in our best. We are hidden with Christ in God. Father, I pray for anyone today that's never accepted the good news of the gospel, that their life can be hidden with Christ in God. Would we simply cry out, Father, accept me through Jesus and Jesus alone. I recognize that so often I'm like chaff. I want to live for myself and pursue what I think is going to lead to joy. And yet, Father, you have laid out a path of life, abundance that begins today. I want to receive it. Forgive me. Holy Spirit, come into my life as I believe in the, the truth of the gospel and give me newness of life. Thank you, Father. 
on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it with his disciples looking at them. He gave thanks and he said, take and eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. same way after supper he took a cup so this cup it represents the new covenant the relationship established in his blood as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns